if we know that the Fed, in the two times that it increased rates, the fastest it ever had before, it did it a consistent 50 basis point increases or a consistent 25 basis point increases. And we know that these things are lagging indicators that respond to these interest rate increases. Could it not be argued that the lagging indicators we're gonna see are gonna move much more than we expected the wrong way because we've done things at a much faster cadence? Why do we expect the data to respond the same way it has before? Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome to the show. I'm not going to say welcome back because we got a lot of new subscribers this week. But welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. That's true. And this week, more than any other week, that's actually closer to being absolutely goddamn true. Why is that? Because we were in the top 100 of podcasts, all podcasts in business in the United States. Not to be confused with the top 200. And I did some looking around. We were also in the top for Canada, mm-hmm. for Greece, for Turkey, for India, yeah, for the Philippines, and a bunch of other countries I can't remember at the moment. Dude, and it was, I know like entrepreneurship is not like a main category, it's a subcategory. We had of, to be the top. Business, but we were like top 20. We had to be in the top. I mean, yeah. finally. We Some, out here. Somebody out here recognizing. And when we say the number one financial literacy podcast in the world, I would like to point out that everybody else who was ahead of us was not focusing on financial literacy. They're talking about how to, you can invest and, and get you to buy into their products. They're trying to sell you something. Yeah, syndicate some deals. Yeah, we're going to get into that later on this episode. Saeed's first attempt at a segue was a failure for the record. <laughs> I nice mean, try. It was foreshadowing. It wasn't a segue. But before we get there, gross domestic product is not the same as gr- gross domestic income. Mm-mm. This is actually new to me. So we're going to hear a little bit about GDI versus GDP and what that means for you, for me, for everybody. And, and, why, and why everyone's talking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Steal that thunder, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Steal that thunder. Come on. <laughs> Fed officials. Uh, debated some need for rate hikes. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time there because we've been talking a lot about the Fed as of late, you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have been a lot. I mean, there's there's been a lot of uh, job boning going around, meaning Fed officials, Fed speak going around, and what they're saying has been making the news. So, But it's it's relevant because the next meeting is coming up, two weeks. Job boning, huh? That's what it's called. I, just, I didn't make it up. That's what know, they call I know, it. I know that's what it's called. I'm just saying it's just an interesting choice of words. But that- Okay. <laughs> Good job. We're going to spend a lot of time on syndication. And for those of you who are not savvy, it's basically a pool of investors getting together to buy real estate. And it's usually led by one person. Think Grant Cardone, if you will. Mm. Now, there are much more seasoned, older ones that don't involve social media. But the ones that we've seen rise to prominence in recent years have definitely been social media driven. We're going to talk about how that can be a very toxic thing and an actual use case scenario where a bunch of investors got and I believe this is the financial term for it. <laughs> Fucked. Fucked. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, if it wasn't, I was going to correct you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're going to get into all that. It's a, there's a ton there to be read, and there's a ton there to unpack. We will spend some time doing that. And then we're going to wrap up the show with a, a wonderful, amazing, frankly, awesome review from a new listener, which we hope more of you do, because this kind of stuff really makes all of this worthwhile. Yeah, makes our day and is the reason why we do what we do. I mean, other than really being arrogant bastards who want social attention and really notoriety, right? Yeah, for their sultry voice. Yeah. At least that's what the criticisms on YouTube said. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't help ourselves. Couldn't help ourselves. All right, so let's kick it off. I'm going to say right out the gate that 
Generally speaking, Zero Hedge is not the place I go for financial information. Not to say that it doesn't have its value. I think it's a great website, but I generally go to more notable news outlets as opposed to websites and blogs. So what's the knock on Zero Hedge? I know that they're pretty popular. There's a lot of anonymity in the writers. Okay. And I generally don't like the lack of transparency as to who's saying what and why, although mm. I will say nine times out of 10, they are right. But mm. I traditionally go more more um, more verifiable news outlets. There is a valid argument to be made whether those are more reliable or zero hedges for right. consistent and, and accurate information. But this article, Gross Domestic Income GDI, suggests U.S. is in recession right now now right now meow meow okay now i was not familiar with gross domestic income mm -hmm. it's actually not a metric metric i've ever tracked tracked yeah. i cannot speak tonight is it <laughs> it's just your your arm hair is sensational and it's really distracting <laughs> so this is so early manly yeah on uh, early He's today. showing off his leg hair too you I, are showing off your i leg want hair. you to know what this That's is what you could have you could have had this you could have had this but you chose not to I chose not to yeah i i am uh um basically i'm a cyborg <laughs> I'm a is manufactured that, human. That's the, yeah. yeah. My body has been transformed into this Adonis-like structure you've seen in front of you. Oh, okay. Actually, Arun and I, earlier today, we were supposed to be editing the podcast. Mm. We were messing around with P Photoshop's new, like, AI. AI feature. Okay. We did some messed up things to you. <laughs> I, saw, I saw some of the photos. Yeah, it's The ponytail was the least of which. That was so good, though. Yeah, it was good. It was literally just circling areas saying, change his hair, and it just chose to give you a man yeah. bun. If that's not, I mean, Kismet, I don't know what is. We got to put it up for the YouTube channel. We could. Yeah. I probably won't. Okay. Because mine was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It made me look like an angry Steve Jobs. Mm. All right. So gross domestic income and GDP are two measures of the same thing, but they are radically different in outlook. Right. So you care to give the definition of GDI you have it handy? Yeah. So it measures all the money earned for goods and services, and it usually moves in conjunction with GDP. Mm -hmm. So conceptually, you could see why these two should be moving together. At times, due to accounting, maybe perhaps they it doesn't, right? Because for every every dollar like spent is a dollar earned for somebody else. So conceptually speaking, it should be tracking. So money earned, money spent, they yeah. should be somewhat in symmetry, right? If there's a delta, a difference between the two numbers, that means that one of the numbers is probably not reporting as accurately as it could, or is on a delay. Exactly. Now, typically speaking, the income can be made from the money that's being spent. Mm -hmm. You could argue that's where it's at. But what was news to me when going to this article was the National Bureau of Economic Research, the institution whose job it is to declare recession, mm -hmm. typically looks at the average of these two numbers when making their decision. Right. So I did some digging. You did some digging? I did some digging. You busy little beaver. You literally did. <laughs> oh, yeah, you were in the gardening today. Oh, that's right. I did a lot. Of, I had a long honey-do list that's still not complete. But um, one of it was, I want you to go outside and garden for me. Well, no, there was so on one side of the house, there's a huge slope. And I couldn't have my wife doing the garden. Over there. there was too much work. So, so you, I, you take I did, your shirt off and do it? She loves she, gardening is one of her hobbies. No, I didn't do that. It wasn't like my milkshake brings the boys <laughs> no, in the yard. And no, was, no. But I can tell no, some, that's just me. some people uh, were. Some, I believe that is you. Some people were driving by looking at me like. This guy really, you're not made for this. This is not for you. Like, I, they could tell I was like trying to plant and hold the soil bag. And I was, like, I just did not know what I was doing, but we made it work. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. Seems... I try my best. I'm not a, I'm not a green thumb person. So I, yeah. I have no criticisms of you right about that. What now. was the P90X guy? Tony, what's his name? Tony Horton. Tony Horton. Yeah. Try your best and forget the rest. At Great the end of the day, was the wife happy? Oh, yeah. Dude, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Happy wife. We'll have to call. You know her what woman. that is? Right? Yeah. No, I don't. My wife's been very upset with me this last week because <laughs> I went on a vacation. Uh, no, stop! <laughs> don't say that. I went on a work trip, which was a vacation destination, which I did not enjoy while I was there. I did not even bring a bathing suit. Yeah, your social media that, posts. It's not because it was on a vacation, Christopher. Bro, stop. You didn't bring a bathing suit stop. because of obvious don't, reasons. Don't, don't do that because I'm not in shape. I mean, you said it. I didn't say it. That, okay. First of all. Not in shape, people can go to the beach too, Sayed, okay? Yes. This is why you get labeled a villain. I just know right? why you didn't it's break. those little jabs at everybody else, which really hurt people's feelings. I'm sorry. Okay, you should be sorry. Yeah. So back I'm to- I'm so disappointed in you. Back to okay. my digging. No, no, no. So when you average the two, gross domestic income and gross domestic product, for Q1 and Q2 of 2022, the economy actually slightly expanded. It grew a little. Small, small part of profitability. 
Mm. That's it. So um, that could be a reason why. I mean, Enver hasn't come out and declared that it wasn't a recession either. So Saeed is, is referring back. For those of you who are the OG5 listeners of the show, mm-hmm. one of the things we have consistently been saying going back to January 1 of 2022 was that we felt mm-hmm. that that original two successive quarters of negative GDP growth mm-hmm. was in fact a recession. And if you recall, just before the June 30 numbers came out in the end of the quarter, the White House even went so far as to put out a statement saying two successive quarters of negative GDP growth is not a recession. Right. When the prior 10 recessions ahead of that had been declared a recession. Right. So we made all sorts of jokes saying that was actually the start of what we believe is a recession that we've been in since that time. Right. However, Saeed wanted to warn me before the show started that in Enber, the National Bureau of Economic Research, whose job it is to declare a recession, yes. which typically takes 12, 18 months or so after, you know, after I guess the start of a recession before you really hear about it. Yep. Hasn't said anything since since right. January one of twenty twenty two. And this could be why is that the average of GDI back then and the average of GDP together combined right. was actually still positive. Was actually yeah. So the GDI figure for Q two uh and Q one were was one point two percent and one point eight percent. So that's a positive reading obviously and and you average that out to the negative uh, GDP numbers for those two quarters, it actually came out positive. So one of the things I thought would be a good pivot here, and I want to jump away from this topic and then jump back into it because I want to set a bit of a tone. Okay. So for those of you who follow uh, Mind Pump. Mind Pump, Mind Pump, Mind Pump. The best. The best of the best. The number one podcast in the world, really. I Mm -hmm. mean, is there anybody else who does better? You look sexier after listening. It's not just mind enriching. It's physically enriching. How did you feel about how you look like on the show? Well, I think the best comment was that it looked like a mashup of all three of the hosts. <laughs> that was a great comment. That was a great comment. I, and I, what I get a compliment. It. I mean, I don't know if it was saying that I was chubby or not, but facially, I think that's where they got from. Yeah. That, you know, yeah and was, I, I clearly need to manicure my beard better. I think is what I got back to. It's, yeah. it's a little rogue. Yeah. But so one of the people in the comments section on their YouTube video started attacking me personally and blah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. I always try to engage everyone mm-hmm. because I want to see if I can use that as a teaching moment or I can use it as a way to maybe, maybe I'm wrong, mm-hmm. you know? I always want to try to go into a situation like that, respond to as many people as I can. And granted, it is harder on social media these days because I just don't have the time and the bandwidth to do it. And I never, and invariably get somebody who's going to be like, if you were really so busy or you really successful as you say you were, you wouldn't respond to people. And I think to myself, that's a fucked up paradigm. Right. Like you think that people are so busy they don't respond to you. If they respond to you, they're not legitimate. But one of the things I really got from this back and forth exchange was he was upset that I was a banker, number one. I can't fix that. He was upset that I said that the action taken by the Fed to raise interest rates was unprecedented and an unprecedented cadence. Yes. I thought this would be a good teaching moment. Yes. Because I don't think a lot of people understand what that meant. Good. And I'll use the period of time that he was referencing. I actually wrote this up because I wanted to be clear. The fastest cadence the Federal Reserve had ever increased interest rates in a single year occurred in 1980 which is what that particular descending opinion on YouTube was, was referring to without being articulate mm-hmm. or citing facts or numbers or metrics of any valuable kind. During that year, the Fed under Chairman Paul Volcker implemented a series of interest rate hikes to combat high inflation. Right. He was specifically battling something the country was in at the time called hyperinflation. Right. Inflation was skyrocketing, skyrocketing at a pace I don't think we've ever seen. No. So what does he do? He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out and I'm going to increase rates and increase rates consistently over time. The federal funds rate, which is the benchmark interest rate, was increased by a total of 10 percentage points in a single year. Mm-hmm. And this was the uh, the frustrating point for the YouTube person who was criticizing me. And I don't think that he understood what I meant by cadence. Okay. Every single Fed interest rate increase during this time was 50 basis points. Mm-hmm. They were methodical, they were consistent, mm-hmm. and they were meant to be rapid to tame hyperinflation. Got it. Now, today, we are not in hyperinflation. We are in normalized inflation. This is nothing that's been uncharacteristically, I I would say, aggressive as far as increasing. 9% was high. Yeah. But it was able to be tamed back down pretty quickly. Yeah, right. absolutely. So this was a rapid and substantial increase to address the inflationary pressures in the economy at that time in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. The distinction from what is happening today is because the maximum increase, as I referenced earlier, was 50 basis points. Mm-hmm. So prior to what we were experiencing, the Federal Reserve had not increased Fed funds rates, which is that target interest rate, mm-hmm. by more than 50 basis points in a single meeting ever. 
Right. That had not happened before. Right. And we had multiple 75 basis point increases, correct? I think it was two in a row, was it? I think it was at was least three? three. Was it three? Okay. It was yeah. three. So it was multiple in a row. That is what I meant on the show when I said it is an unprecedented cadence. Mm-hmm. And when uh, mine, uh, Sal came back to me on the show and said, hey, did not even in the 80s. And I said, no, nothing like this even in the 80s. Right. The cumulative total in the 80s, sure. It was higher, but it was. This is an unprecedented cadence because we've never done it at this rate consistently back to back at that high of an interest rate increase. Absolutely. And that 25 basis points difference per meeting has a massive impact on the banking infrastructure. Absolutely. You what, can hate bankers, right. but that is fact. Right. So even though back then in the 80s under Volcker, they had gone up to 50 basis point, the, I guess, what, what uh, financial institutions you know, project based on their models are nothing more than 25 basis points at a time, right? Like that, that you always start off with that. And, and to that point, when the Fed started raising interest rates this time around, they started off, yes. I think, with 25 basis points. They did. And so, and I'll give you the next highest, uh, the next highest single year increases or period increases came, uh, came a little later. And I have it noted here. Uh, and, and that really came from, I want to, was, uh, Bernanke to uh, the one before him as president. Oh, before no, him? it was before him. No, it was a handoff. It was, um, I can't remember the name, yeah. but basically it was 17 increases in a row of mm-hmm. 25 basis points. Yeah. So that was the next fastest one. So you can see there's a, a huge difference in what we're doing now versus what we've done historically mm-hmm. to tamp out inflation. But historically the fed has typically implemented smaller gradual rate adjustments during its meetings to manage monetary policy right. and maintain stability in the economy stability right. in the economy yeah so my frustration is not hey i'm a banker i'm not making as much money as it was as this commenter alluded to on youtube mm-hmm. it's that we are now seeing instability in the economy right uh let's see a room pulled it up here yeah, alan greenspan to bernanke that's right thank you so much so between alan greenspan to ben bernanke it was 25 basis points, 25 basis points, 25 basis points, a total of 17 times. God damn. That's how they did it, mm-hmm. right? So very, very different strategies between when Volcker did it, which caused a double dip recession, by the way. Right. When these two did it later on and where we're at today, mm-hmm. which is why I said it is an unprecedented cadence because it's never happened like mm-hmm. this, where you've seen successive single meetings with 75 basis point increases. I guess it remains to be seen. We'll see how this all plays out when this is done. Granted, inflation now is not as high as it was back then, mm-hmm. but we'll uh, we'll see if maybe this approach is, is better in the long run. So it begs the question, if, if you're somebody who's saying, hey, Chris, like, why is this happening? Why did the Fed increase at the pace and the cadence that it did if they didn't even do this during a hyperinflation period like the 1980s where interest rates topped at 20%? Mm-hmm. And the answer simply is, I don't know. Yeah. That has been the main beef. That is why when somebody questions me and I say this is an unprecedented cadence and this is very different, that's what I mean. Right. It's very different. We weren't had at they, had, 100% rates. Had they, because some of the institutions, some of the banking institutions that did, um, you know, collapse and get seized, right? They were well-run organizations, right? And had had maybe had the Fed acted in that way where they increased by 25 basis points, they could have maybe properly adjusted, you know, their models, right? Yeah, but, so... I mean, that, that's the problem. So the increase are typically spread out over multiple meetings to minimize the disruptions and allow for careful evaluation right. of the impacts, right? If you raise 25 basis points, you can see what happens next. If you raise 25 basis points, you can see what happens. It's a slower, methodical cadence. And you couple that in addition to being able to read the Fed minutes, being able to read the summary mm-hmm. of economic projections and the beige book and all these other things, you can see where the Fed's going to be going yeah. long term, right? But if you, to do this all that fast in the span of a year... It's hard to plan. You can't adjust a billion dollar portfolio. But people who hate bankers say you run a business that's a big scheme, that it's on the razor's edge, and they fundamentally don't understand the value of banking to the macro business system. Right. And and I, it's always the same argument. It's always like, you know, this almost like Illuminati, like nonsensical position. And I keep trying to tell people over again, I said it on their show too, on Mindpop, I said, look, you can't try to change the rules of the game. Right. You can get out there and vote and do all the things you want to. I'm only going to play the game by the rules that I'm allowed to play by. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't like it, mm-hmm. you can not like it all you want, but that's you stopping you from getting wealthy playing the game the way it's meant to be played. Absolutely. And it's not I'm not saying that it's it's an it's an evil business, but if you're a person that believes it's evil, it's a necessary evil. Why don't you hate insurance companies and how they impact healthcare? The biggest hustle. 
the biggest hustle. Yeah. Why don't you hate how insurance companies are pulling out of California because there's too many natural disasters? Well, I'm, I'm sure. sorry. Your job is to cover natural disasters. Yeah. I'm sure they do too. It's just it, banks are easy targets. Okay. Well, if you hate institutions and, and businesses, fine. Right. Whatever. That's on you. But you got to understand that's more of a personal problem because those companies aren't going to go away unless they're illegal or they do something wrong. Mm hmm. So if you don't like the way a company does something legally, uh, I mean, it's not the Illuminati. It's not this whole like background. It, that's just you not liking something. Right. You know, that, that, uh, that's yeah. a different reason. Not liking the rules of the game. So then you yeah. just choose not to play. That's a, that's a zero-sum game. Right. Yeah. So going back to, to gross domestic income and being in a recession right now, I look at what we've done from an economic perspective to get us here. Mm -hmm. And Arun, if you want to pull up the chart, now would be a good time to kind of show the comparison. So Arun's pulled up a chart, real GDP, real final sales, real GDI, quarterly uh, percentage change. And it shows a pretty massive, wide change mm -hmm. from 2020 to the top of just before 2021. Right. Interesting time. Interesting time. And we know that um, GDP for quarter one, Q1, was recently adjusted. And it actually got adjusted upwards. So, and I was surprised by that. I know. Originally, it was at 1.1%, and it got adjusted up to about 1.3%, I believe. Mm. But with when you average uh, Q1's gross domestic income with that new figure, it actually shows a quarterly growth decline of 0.5%. So, I mean, we could be in recession right now. Yeah, true. I mean, there's... This could be the beginning, right? So Q2 will, will be very telling. And then moving on to Reuters articles uh, that a room that just scrolled up from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Way to go, Chief. Yeah. Tell me you're not listening to the show without telling me you're not listening to the or show. He's, he's scrambling. He is scrambling a he's little bit. Why a are you scrambling? He's doing a lot over there. Oh, because he didn't have the article up. Oh, there it is. Mm -hmm. You got time, brother. Why you got to call him out like that? Just no, I, just, I couldn't figure out why he was scrambling. Just buy him time. So from the Reuters article titled, Strong U.S. Consumer Spending Inflation Reading Put Fed in a Tough Spot. Mm-hmm. Here's a quote. Consumer spending jumped 0.8% last month after gaining 0.1% in March. The cadence, the increase of the number is not a good thing. Right. So economists polled by Reuters had forecast consumer spending, which accounts for more than two-thirds of the U.S. economic activity, would rise only 0.4%. And here it is, double that. Double that. So something to, to keep, in, uh, keep in mind here. PCE. Uh, what is it? It's the personal consumption expenditure. I almost mm -hmm. said producer. Uh, personal consumption expenditure, right? There's a this, lot of P acronyms in, in economic data. What it, like, do you think they're hinting at something? PPI, PCE. They just like to have fun with the P's. CPI. They like to have fun with P's? Lots of P's. A lot of P's. So basically, th P -P -P. This, this P, this PCE, mm -hmm. is uh, the Fed's preferred gauge to measure inflation. They've, they've cited that all along, right? Um, along with that, on the flip side of this, there's also CPI. CPI is the one that we were constantly referencing as the one that- That's hit, inflation as far as the economy is concerned. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, that was the one that hit 9% back in June mm -hmm. of, of last year. Um, so this, this report, this figure really hits home on what the Fed is zeroing in on. And when you strip out uh, food and energy, core inflation is actually at 4.7% for the month. And we've been talking about it all along that it was going to be sticky for some time, right? And it's been basically stuck at this 4.7 mark for the last four or five months. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may have gone down to 4.6% at one point, but not a whole lot of change there. And right when this came out, right when this report came out, the CME, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, that bets on the Fed funds future rate, 52% chance of <laughs> Fed increase at the next The sound meeting. effect really made that feel meaningful. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. That's, not, that's very good. <laughs> you felt it? I did. It, 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 it oof, shivers. Yeah, I mean, because we've been, and, I mean, so this is where, and we're going to get into it a little bit later on the show, where a lot of the Fed officials um, are split now on halting rates and not raising anymore or continuing to raise. Yeah, whatever happens in the next meeting, and I'm obviously we're kind of done predicting what the Fed's going to do at this point. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's certainly going to be some dissension amongst the ranks. There's going to be, it's not going to be unanimous. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some conversations that, that are had that, that I think are going to be interesting, but yeah, uh, it will not be unanimous. No, 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 it I'm won't be. Yeah. The last one actually for May, it was, it was a unanimous decision. Unanimous decision, but there was in the minutes, there was clear dissension in, in the debates. In the debates on what they should be doing moving forward. Yeah. So they don't all agree, but they ultimately 
voted to agree as a committee, which I think has some optics. I think they want to show a united front. Mm-hmm. They probably had some sway conversations to sway people's concerns right. one way, you know. Some of them. I don't want, think you get them. I don't think you sway those votes the next time. Some of them want to uh, take a wait and see approach because yeah. they're starting to cite and know that, okay, we've, we've raised rates now to five to five and a quarter, mm-hmm. right? There is a lag effect, and we have to recognize and acknowledge that there will be a lag effect to, to all of this. I get that unemployment is still at 3.4%. I know we had a positive GDP for Q1, but it's going to hit, it's just going to hit the fan eventually. And we have to remember that once this is all done, whether we like it or not, there is going to be a tightening in lending. Let's put on your tinfoil hat, as Sal would say. My JP. Let's hat. get wow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get conspiratorial. Let's do it. If we know that the Fed, in the two times that it increased rates, the fastest it ever had before, it did it a consistent fifty basis point increases, mm-hmm. or a consistent twenty five basis point increases, mm-hmm. and we know that these things are lagging indicators that respond to these interest rate increases, right? Could it not be argued that the lagging indicators we're going to see are going to move much more than we expected the wrong way because we've done things at a much faster cadence? There'll be a faster swing. Yeah. I, I could definitely see that. Yeah. I mean, successive 70 point basis point, 75 basis point increases. Mm-hmm. Never been done before. Mm-mm. Why do we expect the data to respond the same way it has before? Right. I, I truly think that there is an ominous dark this soft landing pitch is not good for me. It's not good for me. Honestly, I think the only thing that's been propping everything up is the idea of people not listening to what the Fed has been saying. Projections up until now have still been mm. growth second half of the year. So everything that's propping up this economy and, and all that's going on is on the hope that this is going to end soon. And that's, what, that's not, that's, I hate living on the idea of and, hope. Right. It's, it's almost like it's, there's an unrealized loss here, and it's about to get realized real soon. Yeah, real soon. Yeah. Way to bring it back to banking. Yeah, Look SVB, yeah. That was, that, was, uh, that was solid. You like that? Yeah, five stars. Yeah. Honest five-star review. Fuzzy, fuzzy. <laughs> Just, you offered it up, bro. <laughs> Come on. All right, so I'm tempted to go into syndication now because I know we're going to spend some time on that. You want to? But we, you want to get into a little bit about the minutes or no? We can. Let's do that. Okay. Let's talk about the Fed officials debate, shall we? Yeah. So uh, something that was noted in their minutes, and this is a quote that I'll read. Currently, financial conditions are tight. We can expect the banks to further tighten conditions, and they think it will trigger a recession later this year. They think because... So now they're, they're trying to put this on the banks, too, in, the, in their minutes. Like, it's not just what we did. Because of the banks that they're gonna they're gonna tighten up after all this is done, and that's what's going to cause the recession. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty visible disconnect in what's happening here. So the article from CNN and CNN Business, mm-hmm. Fed officials debated need for rate hike at last meeting minute show, mm-hmm. and it goes into a lot of what Said's saying, and it does piss me off to no end because it really does overlook the idea that the Fed had some part into driving us into a recession mm-hmm. and suggesting that things like a pullback by the banking sector. We've already clearly said on the show that we've we've seen a, a palpable pullback in banking because banks don't want to deploy the capital. Right. But the credit crunch that everybody's saying is already present is going to come next. Mm-hmm. And they're alluding to, they, the Fed, are alluding to in this CNN article and their minutes that that will be one of the biggest in, instigators of a recessionary economy. Right. And to your point earlier, they also went on to say that they ex- fully expect that GDP to degrade quickly mm-hmm. in, at the end of this quarter and into Q3. And do not expect a quick recovery. I think that's likely to be true. And I think there's a lot of people who would normally earn like bonuses on a quarterly basis or on an annual basis who won't be earning them. I think the July reports for... Damn, man. Shit. It's not personal, brother. You're handsome. <laughs> if you want a higher standard bonus, I've already told you what you need to do. Okay. okay. We'll talk about that after <laughs> yeah. the show. It's right behind you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I do think that the the additional stress placed on all corporations... And profitability will be very visible in July, like we've talked about when the earnings come out for Q2. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are going to see that we're at an inflection point. And there's a ton of businesses that aren't making as much money as they once did. Right. And because of that, I think there's some pretty... Actually, I think I had a quote. Did I put it in the, in the minutes of this for the show? About the economic losses to 
to the businesses. Did I have it? No, that wasn't in that one. So, no. Uh, Arun, let me see if I have it here. Because we know we know with higher higher interest rates, and like I said earlier, that the hope of there being growth the second half of the year is is currently what's propping up the economy. Once that once that goes out the door, valuations of companies are going to come down too. And that's going to ultimately, when that happens, stock investors are going to now not, I don't know, maybe they're not going to buy into a positive earnings per share figure. And then those stocks are going to start to come down second half of the year, just like our our uncle Jamie Diamond said. Yeah, I didn't say the quote, but I actually, I got to find it. I had a quote of the total economic losses for businesses that have already occurred, kind of foreshadowing what Q2 was going to look like. It was like one of those super detailed oh, investor wow. articles, so I didn't think it was right to kind of go into in, in great detail on the, detail on the show. Mm. But it was like over hundreds of billions of dollars mm. in lost profits in Q2 was, was the illusion. Wow. In, in companies across the country. So it, it's going to be visible. I think it's going to be real. And I think it's something we should expect to see get really, really grim. It'll be interesting to see what gets picked up in the news cycle in July. Yeah. Because right now the focus is clearly on banking. It's clearly on the debt ceiling and all these right. things that are more macro, but as sectors are impacted, right. it's going to be interesting to see where the the hype and contagion and fears and all those things swing to in different sectors because it will impact other sectors. Speaking of which, debt ceiling deal has apparently been reached and it should make its way through the House and the Senate this week. Oh, you don't say a yeah. 79th time they're going to increase it, Saeed? Yeah, they're kicking the can down the road. What? I I am stunned. But see, do you know this a part of the deal is they're kicking the can down for two years? No, they're going to kick the can just for a couple of years? Two years right after, a year after the election? Oh, that's convenient. Wow. They're going to have a big celebratory 80th time we raised it party maybe next time. And then when you're tuning into this show two years later, you can, you're can you going to recall this moment right now and be like, it's going to happen again in 2025. And you're going to ask yourself, why did Saeed, using Obama hands here, wear shorts? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you wore, here's the problem. You wore shorts for a long time too. And then once you decided to start airing the episodes on YouTube, you're like, okay, let me scale this First shit. First of all, I didn't decide to start airing the videos on YouTube. We just started. I can't. God damn it. I'm stuck on stupid today. I can't. <laughs> like, I'm stuttering and mumbling. Right. So back, it's not good. So back to the minutes. So the minutes uh, went on to say that they fully expect unemployment to pick up. Um, yes. That, look, if you're, if you're listening to this out there and you're driving your car someplace, you're working out in the gym, I want you to take a moment to accept something as just an absolute fact. I don't care how many people troll me on YouTube or Instagram. Troll away. Troll away. This is real. Unemployment's going up. It's, Suck it up, kids. It's, it's going to go. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So their original projection by the end of this year was 4.6%. Now, let's just say. I don't think we get there. I don't think. Let's say if we don't get there, okay, it gives people more time to hopefully um, hoard cash and save up, right? Um, maybe better prepare themselves for the worst. But they fully anticipated to peak in 2024. Mm. And then for it to start to come back down in 2025, which is an interesting, interesting speculation. I, I disagree with that. Typically speaking, unemployment peaks after the end of a recessionary economy. Okay, so, so unless the they're beginning. saying we're going to have a recession now, which ends in 2024, and then by the end of 2024 it peaks, or maybe Q3. Mm -hmm. I, I think you said July of 2024. Would you say it was? What? No, they said it's going to peak next year in 2024 at some point. Okay. So it could be the end of the year. It would have to be the end of the year in order for that to make sense. Historically yeah. speaking, given we're in a weird data position now, right. I don't know if it historical. Right, because really I remember uh, you, you cited on the show before um, after the Great Recession, uh, uh, unemployment peaked at ten percent in two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do I know? I mean, <laughs> you know, I just yeah do this show all the time. Right. So mm. I'm not a laureate like you. No. Speaking of which, when are you going to start doing some podcast appearances on your own? What do you mean? You need to get out there. I was and there. Show I was people. there. I was there right behind you at Mind Pump. I know I where, want, I, where I, want I always to, am. I want you to be. I'm always in front. there right behind you. Okay, don't make it. Don't make no, it. No, but like I got that. your back. I got your back. No, no, I, got, I don't oh, want you to have I, my back. I got your back. I want you my front. <laughs> no, but I got your back. I would like to have your back. Where was I on Mind Pump? You were right behind me. Yep, I was right there. Several feet. <laughs> I mean, kudos to me. Kudos to you for <laughs> so, being able to keep several, focus several from feet. that far back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, I don't mind. Yeah, but you do. You do need to go on. I want to do. I want to. I want to go on one together with you. Tag I don't team. feel. Like, I feel like that would be us doing our podcast and somebody else's show. I, I mean, they're welcome. They're welcome. Okay. <laughs> Let me make you all literate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably not. The Let best me help y'all out. Yeah. Do you guys have Just, trolls that listen to your show listen, too? Listen, I listen to a couple podcasts. Y'all need some flavor.
Okay, I'm going to leave that there. We're going to get into syndication next. Okay. This is big. This is very big. We've actually left a huge portion of the show for this segment because mm-hmm. we know how prevalent this has been on social media. We know how pushed in front of your face this has been. People like Grant Cardone, who was actually referenced in this Wall Street Journal article and not in a good way. So kudos to the Wall Street Journal for doing the right thing. Right. In the article, it starts off by saying Grant Cardone is not a good man is a good start. I believe they called him a piece of shit. I wow, remember. I don't think that was the actual language. Oh, okay. So I've copied a ton from this article because I think it's really important mm-hmm. to break this down because there's a lot here to be to be educated on. Mm-hmm. All right, so before we get into this, a syndication is generally when somebody puts together a limited partnership structure so that they can go buy multifamily properties, generally multifamily apartment buildings, but it can be any type of property. And they're basically using your money to buy in. We'll get into more of what that means, but think of Grant Cardone's of the world that are out there saying, I'm buying this apartment building in Southeast Florida mm-hmm. or South Florida, and we have tremendous upside, and you, you should give me money, and then I'll give you a return, and blah, 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 blah. You'll get it back every single year because it's a seasoned real estate. Well, it turns out uh, it's a little bit more problematic than that. Yeah, and this is, this is really getting pimped out by these guys because they understand how difficult it is to get into the real estate investing game right now. So the best way to, uh, you know, attract people is like, well, hold on. You don't need to come in 100%. Why don't you just get 5% here? Yeah. And we'll, you don't have we'll, to manage the property. I'll manage it for you. Yeah. And I offer X return. Let's I offer yeah. you, you know, 8% return. And I'll just distribute the proceeds to you every single year. All you got to do is collect a check. What's not yeah, to like? Nothing nothing for you to worry about. The yeah. rents, rents at this property are really low and not fully intent on raising their rents. All right. Well, there's a gentleman. He's an Indian gentleman, but I want to mess up his name, but I'm going to do it multiple times. In April, Gajaveli. Let's call him Gaja. Gajaveli. His company lost more than 3,000 apartment units. Wow. That's doors. Each one of them has one apartment unit, 3,000 of those. Do the math. Not good. (laughs) You might recall he made national headlines in this massive amount of uh, foreclosures that would happen in Texas. This was the guy behind that. Mm-hmm. So at four rental complexes, he had 3,000 units. So you can divide that number by effectively by four to get kind of the average unit that he had in each one of these buildings. They were taken in foreclosure. One of the biggest commercial real estate blowups since the financial crisis. Investors who invested in him lost millions. Gajavelli did not respond for comments. Right. Shocker. And why this is such a big deal. This isn't this isn't a single case just for Gajavelli. There are a lot of syndicators out there like him. This is and this is just the one that they're trying to but dive into. This article, when we dive into him, will help explain where a lot of these special syndicators come from. Right. Because they all seem to attend the same thing. And I know this is going to be a sensitive topic for those of you who believe in masterminds. <laughs> I am not a fan of masterminds. Why don't you want to 10x your money, bro? You got to 10x your life, Saeed. 10x everything. 10x everything. Come on now. What's wrong with you? Bring it. Why didn't you say that 10 times? <laughs> if it sounds stupid, that's because it is. It is stupid, yeah. That's. But this is how people get here mm-hmm. with stupid stuff like this. They believe it, dude. Because they're getting sold the same way they would a car by a used car salesman. Yeah. Which, ironically, Grant Cardone was prior to what he does now for a living. Right. Now you know. I mean, but there's a lot of stuff that this guy was saying um, to his investors that I'm like, if I was investing my money with with somebody and I let's say I trusted them, mm-hmm. I would not want the guy managing my money acting this way. Like, no integrity. Zero integrity. So he ran a company called Apple's Way Investing. Terrible name, but that's a different topic. Yeah. His company had taken out commercial real estate loans that carried floating interest rates. We're going to break that down in one second. So keep on holding on to that floating interest rates Mm -hmm. and were adjusted each month. Those typical typical loans uh, in 2021 offered initial rates as low as 3.5 percent. Everything changed when the Federal Reserve began raising rates last year, driving up monthly loan payments. Mm -hmm. Inflation contributed to higher expenses and Apple's way, the investment company that Mr. Gajavelli owned. Uh, couldn't raise rents fast enough to keep up pace. After bills went unpaid, companies, uh, the company properties went into foreclosure. Those four accounting for 3,000 so units. Let's dive into floating interest rates. Okay. This is what we do 
all day long. <laughs> I mean, this is our bread and butter. We they, had we had an episode back in the day that used to be a, people actually came out and said that was our best episode. Arun, you can take it with whole like floating interest rate yeah, thing. We, 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 yeah, got yeah, yeah, we got this. We got this. this. this yeah, one, we don't, yeah, we don't need yeah, all that. Yeah. All right. So most of you have gotten a loan, whether you got a loan on your home or a loan on your car. That loan was effectively based off of an index plus margin, right? Mm -hmm. So this is how much the index is. The margin is some percentage points over that. Mm -hmm. And that's where you got your rate. Even if it was fixed for 10 years, for 15 years, for 30 years like your home. Right. It originally came from that because that's how banks and lenders build in their profitability. Right. They know their cost of funds. They add a margin on top of it. Right. And effectively, that's how they determine what to charge you for a rate. And it fixed means that's going to be your rate for the entirety of the loan until it matures. Now, there are there's a step down from fixed mm-hmm. called adjustable rate mortgages, which most, if not almost all, commercial real estate is. Savvy, savvy real estate investors, that's what they do because all they're concerned about is cash flow. They're concerned about their cash flow and how much their properties are cash flowing at the end of every month and every year by getting a... a adjustable rate mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times what the investors will do is they'll get interest only portions on those loans for a certain number of years so that their cash flow is more. And then by the time the interest only comes due or, you know, expires, they'll refinance the property again. So in other words, just because it says adjustable rate mortgage doesn't mean that it's actually adjusting frequently. Mm -hmm. It's actually locked or fixed for three, five, seven, and or 10 years. There are some hybrid, but those for the most part are your most common variants. Right. So you have a fixed rate, which is based off an index plus margin for three years. For three years, that rate will not change. Mm -hmm. After that three years, it goes into the adjustable portion, hence the adjustable rate mortgage. Right. Then you have an amortization. In some cases, it's the remaining years at 30 minus the remaining years. So if you had a five-year fixed uh, loan, you have 25 years of amortization. And some companies will say, okay, you have a five-year fixed loan, then we'll give you 30-year amortization, but 25 payments, so you've got a balloon of five years at the end. Right, and what Chris, what Chris means by that is, so think of it like your your home mortgage, um, and you don't have any interest-only payments on it. As so long as you make your minimum payment on day, on month, for month number one, and you make it every month, by the end of 30 years, your loan will effectively be paid off. Entirely. Entirely. There will be nothing left over. But because these individuals had interest-only payments for a certain period of time, because they didn't pay any money towards the principal at the end of that loan, there will be a balloon payment, which ultimately just means the leftover balance that they have to pay. Because you didn't pay it all during the life of the loan. Right. So now that we've set this up, there is another option in the market mm-hmm. in a purely adjustable product. And that, But sorry, I think one key point that we got to bring up too is these real estate investors are not looking to pay off their investment properties the no. way you would your your home or the way most no. people look at paying their home. They just want it cash flowing. They don't care if there's a loan on it. They want to improve their profitability over time. Yes. Typically speaking, that means increasing rents over time. If they want to pay down principal, they they do that. But generally speaking, they don't because they believe as they increase values, mm-hmm. though, as they increase rents, the value of the property goes up. There are several different approaches to value, but the main one for any type of non-owner-occupied investment real estate is going to be the income approach to value. How much money can this property make me, an investor, every single month? That is the highest and most common form of valuing a property. Right. There are other ways, comparable sales in the market, you know, insurable value, replacement costs, new. Right. None of those really relevant. Because people, most people buy these properties as an income property. Therefore, they want the income property value. The more money it makes, the more property in theory it's worth. Right. Uh, the more, yeah, the more the property is worth in theory. Sorry. Yeah. I'm stumbling all sorts of things tonight. It's okay. So this goes to show you that that is the way the market works. And that is what's the concern in the market, right? Because people locked in these rates three years ago and five years ago at historic lows, call it three and a half percent, for example, like the Mr. Gajavelli did here. Mm-hmm. And what happens when they come due? Mm. Because rates are going to be probably closer to six and seven percent when they come well, to now, refinance. Now, right, the last 14 years, not a problem. Not, not a problem. But now as these properties come due, if they have an increased rents, then they might not be able to qualify for a new loan, but yet they've got that, they're going adjustable at that point in time. Right. And that's the big concern over the commercial real estate market. But someone as brilliant as Gajavelli here mm-hmm. had a purely adjustable program. And there are some lenders who offered that as like you, you get the loan on day one, it's adjustable from day one, it resets you know, every single month. That's fine. But a lot of people, especially in Texas, got what was known as a bridge loan. Mm. 
they went to lenders, sometimes non-bank lenders, uh, sometimes banks, and they said, hey, we're going to take this property and we're going to build all this extra income by doing X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. We're going to take, because in the Midwest, in these Sun Belt states, there, there's not one big tower. They have to take the entire thing down and do construction right. or you know, remodel the entire building. They have several different buildings. So think of like a 48 units. They can have six buildings with several units in each one. Right. They can take down one building and still have cash flow from the other buildings where they remodel that one and get it back up to market at higher rents. Right. And they take the next one. So the property is always cash flowing at least one to one. I mean, or, no, no different than if you were to just take down one unit at a time, renovate it while the other units are still servicing and providing you enough income. Which you have to have turnover and tenancy to do that. But if yeah. you can do that, great. Yeah. So in theory, that's what he probably did is he took a bridge loan hoping to build an upside potential and never got there. Yep. So let's carry on with the article from the Wall Street Journal. Gajavelli is one of thousands of real estate entrepreneurs in the U.S. known as syndicators. Mm. Many have come under similar financial pressure and hold properties they can no longer afford. From 2020 to 2022, real estate syndicators reported raising at least $115 billion from investors, according to the Wall Street Journal analysis of SEC filings. And Arun, I put in, uh, I believe, the graph at the bottom of this. Now would be a good time to share that with our friends. Mm. The graph. Nope, not that one. Not that one. Yep, that's not the right one. Is it there? Is it not there? I don't. I don't. I didn't. I didn't recall seeing the graph. Oh, I am so sorry. All right, we'll send it to you now while we're doing this. So right. basically, the graph shows syndication volume. You don't. You're not gonna have access to the Wall Street Journal because you're cheap. Uh, no, it, it, I haven't. I could. I could no, no, it's okay. I got you guys. Yeah. I got you. It's right here. This is your computer. Uh, it is our computer. <laughs> it's our computer. Our computer. Yeah, I mean, uh, you got 115 billion from investors. God damn, that's a whole lot of money. Yes, well, and that's that's a massive increase over the last several years. I mean, the SEC is going to have to come cracking down on on this. This got to be next. Well, I don't know that they will because they just loosened this up. The one on the right, that's the wrong one. There you go. That yeah. one was there before. There you go. This Real one. estate syndicators annual fundraising. Right. So in 2012, they actually made it easier for real estate syndicators to syndicate. Mm -hmm. What you're seeing here is a dramatic uptick and it only seems to have slowed because of i think leading into the pandemic area yeah era right mm -hmm. but we are at what at least appears at this point to be an all-time high as far as annual fundraising goes and if the sec filings are right this chart is 30 billion dollars under what the wall street journal's calculation is oh my gosh man that's how high it is and i would like to point out this has been created largely with the help of social media. Right. Social media and of course the master ass classes. <laughs> the master ass classes, yeah. Oh, mastermind shit. I always screwed up ass mind. I mean, it's I yeah. mean, one of the same. So, let's go back to the article for a second here. I'd like to point out a couple more details that mm -hmm. I think really really highlight why this is concerning. All right. So, Congress in 2012 opened the door for syndicators with a law that made it easier to market real estate investments online, mm -hmm. hence entry point for someone like Grant Cardone. Right. The law intended to open up financial opportunities to lower income people greatly expanded the reach and audience for syndicator deals. Syndicators largely favored apartment complexes in the South and Southwest, also where Grant Cardone seems to do the bulk of his business. Shocker. Shocker. Mm. Where real estate prices were lower, Rents were rising, yep. were past tense kids, and housing regulations were generally looser. Many of these localities had fewer renter protections, which made it easier to evict tenants and raise rents. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, Mr. Gajavelli, before getting into this business, was a IT professional who got tired of working so hard. Right. He was on a tour bus. Right. Touring apartments in Dallas last year. It was hosted by a real estate coach named Brad Sumrock, who drives a Ferrari with the vanity license plate APT King, standing for Apartment King. He doesn't sound douchey at all. Can't make this shit up, man. According to his social media posts, he too assembles investors as a syndicator to buy apartment buildings. But guess what? Mm. Just like everybody else you see on social media, he doesn't just syndicate deals, kids, according to social media. Right. He teaches master classes on how you can do it too. Come on, man. He met a little uh, little gentleman by the name of Gajavelli, and 
He too assembles these syndicators to buy apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. But some rock also charges for memberships in his real estate investment clubs as much as $35,000 a year where he teaches the ropes to prospects and taught Gajavelli. Come on, man. You so, can't make this shit up. So what Gajavelli belonged to one of Sumrock's clubs, the multi the millionaire multifamily mastermind. Yeah. I shit you not. Yeah. Well, I mean, when this guy, yeah, for the last 14 years he's been able to do this, and obviously he's he's telling you that you can now do this too. A lot of people got tricked into this, man. But what's something? Um what's what's Odin pulling up? Here? He's pulling up uh, the Sumrock guy. Brad's I've seen oh, this guy. I've seen this media. guy. Yes, I've have. seen this guy before. And he looks every bit as much of a D-nozzle as he appears to be. <laughs> a D-nozzle? Yeah, look at this standing like, in front I'm of sorry. a jet in a Ferrari. Like, I don't like you, yeah. Sumrock. See, I wouldn't want to be investing my money with this. I don't understand why how people like this is enticing for oh, them. Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let's go back to the article, Rune. Saeed doesn't understand why this is enticing to anybody who watches. Well, I'll tell you why it's enticing to the syndicator. Yeah, th this is and th this is I want to ask you because I don't know if you've ever been approached with, with a deal. Um so go ahead and read this. For me to invest in? Yeah. So read this. Oh, yeah. Many times. Okay. So yeah. I want to ask you about the process. Syndicator generally invest little of their own money. This mm -hmm. is why they're like, oh, my God, I'll give you $35,000 a year to teach me how to do this little, of my own, little to none of my own money. Yeah. They collect acquisition fees from investors that typically go for about 2% to as high as 5% from an apartment building's purchase price. Right. Grant so Cardone does this, but he also buys it in his personal name and then sells it to Cardone Capital at a higher dollar amount. And then between making the difference between what he sells it for versus what he originally bought it for personally, he also gets his two to 5% of the, of the sale price from the investor. So when, as soon as you invest, he's giving you a two to 5% markup. Yeah. Okay. Of the apartment building's purchase price. They also take management fees of two to 3% from the building's gross income every single month. They manage the property. So taking two to 3% of the property. Right. Every single month, that income, cut it off by 2 to 3%. When 3% is an industry standard, 3 to 5% is probably industry standards. Yeah. Syndicators often profit even if the investment is a failure, which real estate analysts say encourages excessive risk at the expense of inexperienced investors. Right. Because even if this gentleman lost those four properties, right. he had very little money into the game. Mm -hmm. He took 2 to two to 5% out the gate for just finding the property. Right. And he made 2 to 3% every single month off the cash flow of the rent so even if it goes away he's still cash good even though you guys lost your dollars right and this is this is the part of it that maybe i'm i'm only thinking about because um this is the space that i'm in but um why do banks not give out a 95% loan or 100% loans on more home mortgages they want they skin want skin in the game they want the borrower to have skin in the game mm -hmm. so i want to know if for people that are looking to get into, because look, at the end of the day, there are some good uh, syndication deals out there. Um, they're not all going to be bad, right? But I would like to know that the person putting it together has enough skin in the game to care as well. Most of the time, they do not. Because so if can they you had, ask? If they had enough, you can ask. Absolutely, it's in the contracts. Right. I want to. So I can ask the person that's running it that's also getting this two to three percent manager fee. How much skin do you have in the game? There's a classic video on on social media, and I think YouTube as well, that um, where Grant Cardone tells a story himself mm -hmm. about how he had some guy who wanted to write him a $2 million check, and that guy sent somebody to do due diligence yeah. at Cardone's shop. And Cardone, oh, that's right. Cardone let, let him do the due diligence, and then he, when the guy was done, he gave him an envelope, and he told the guy he could look inside of it, and it was a, a check for $2 million, and he said, I don't want your money if you don't trust me. Total car salesman thing to do. But that was but that was a story that he he probably pushed out so that anyone that wants to get into Cardone Capital. Never challenges them. Ne don't challenge me because I'm not going to let you in. Yeah. In group, out group. Yeah, exactly. Classic psychological manipulation. Yeah. But that's exactly what these masterminds are, right? The millionaire multifamily mastermind. Right. <laughs> I'm some rock. The apartment king. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Sounds like Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. It's, yeah, just, it's not. Yeah. Syndicators generally invest little of their money. We covered this, right? Mm -hmm. During the pandemic, syndicators found it easier than ever to raise money because we were all at home on our phones. Mm -hmm. Sean Tate, a Dallas-based real, Dallas real estate attorney, has worked with syndicators, said he is inundated with calls from people seeking to help syndicate rental apartment deals. Mm -hmm. Many of the callers learned about the chance to become a landlord from social media fucking ads. Yeah, man. Tate said, and had little idea of what they were getting into. 
This is a quote. You couldn't get on Facebook without the algorithm saying, deal, deal, buy multifamily, he said. Mm -hmm. And even when I drive home, I can't tell you how many nights after the show's ended, usually 11, 12 o'clock in the morning, I'm driving back home after we do this, and Grant Cardone's commercial comes on CNBC, the audio that I have, and it just, it blows my mind. And look, he has experience now, I'm sure, at least doing what he's doing. Do I think he's ethical? No. Right. My fan, absolutely not. I mean, but you got you to gotta think, like, with all that's going around, okay, and here's the thing, all that's going around in, in, with cancel culture, okay, this bad press on Grant Cardone, it's out there. We know about it. He uses it as good press. You got to- you In group, out group. In group, out group. But you know for damn sure people at CNBC know about it, Okay. <laughs> I don't think they care. It doesn't impact That's, them. So I'm like, how do they- advertising on their network. Yeah, but they, they could stop him. They could why, st why would they stop him? He's an advertiser. He's paid. Right. But I mean, come on, man. He's, I mean, we know that they're cheap. I mean, to do that, to buy the buy the property himself and then sell it to Cardone Capital You're talking premium, about a man who that's went scamming on, people. on social media, and this made the rounds everywhere, talking about how he throws away $2.7 million a year on just his jet, and that if you make $400,000 a year, you should be ashamed of yourself. You shouldn't buy a home. Right? He's, he also you, yeah, say? you shouldn't buy a home is what he says because it's very convenient that you invest in, in his group, oh, in group that? out group. Everything he does is divide and conquer and you're haters and this and that. And it's just, it's so frustrating because people get into this stuff. And I, I will say it again for everybody in the back. Mm -hmm. If you want to get into rental real estate, you could go buy into a real estate investment trust. Yes. A much more regulated business mm -hmm. with public filings that you can do research on. Right. Unlike a closed corporation like Grant Cardone's business. Right. And you could get the benefits of being in a real estate investment trust. Right. I was just going to say, unlike unlike public companies, these syndicators are not, I mean, depending on the contract that you sign, mm -hmm. they're not required to give you updates. So a lot of these investors that lost millions mm -hmm. of dollars or their entire life savings or their entire retirement plan, yeah. right, they didn't find out about it until it was too late. Yeah, well, and exactly. So this gentleman right here, most of his major investors, and they actually quoted one of them in this article, mm -hmm. they didn't even know until they were in foreclosure. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, they didn't even know because yeah. they didn't get any updates. They, they had no idea. And then he actually hit the fucking balls on this guy. Yeah. God Javelli guy sent him a letter saying, hey, originally we're going to do a capital call, which means we're going to go back out to the limited partners who invest in this building and we're gonna, you have to give me more money in order to maintain the property, a capital call. I'm calling for more money because we need it for some reason. Right. Sometimes for improvements or insurance, whatever it might be, right? Yeah. These properties had green pools, boards on doors. The mayor had visited them. They were clearly just slumlord treatment here, right? Right. He sent out a subsequent letter saying, hey, guys, never mind. I don't need any more money from you guys. Uh, the properties are in foreclosure, though. <laughs> I should, that was exactly what he said. Okay. He actually said a little more cavalier than that. Yeah. There are good syndicators, and I've worked with a lot of good syndicators. There are a lot of people who have been in this business for 20, 30 years this is what they do. How can, how They're can somebody, low leverage. How can somebody find a good syndicator? I would say the overwhelming majority of them are not going to be on social media. No. These, these are people who've been around for far too long and consider it almost like a, an arm of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that sounds weird from a guy like me who's in the traditional banking business, but I have social media. I have all these things. Here's my problem. Okay. And this, this, I'm using this as a proxy for, to answer your question. Okay. I can't sell something on social media. Right. I've got shareholders, I've got a fiduciary responsibility, I make my primary money, which is more than enough mm -hmm. from the institution that I work for. Yes. Okay? I do do other things on the side to make money. Most of it is personal investment stuff, like you would just manage your own stuff, but mine just happens to be real estate or stocks, right? Right. Everything else I do is effectively pro bono or makes a little bit of money here and there to pay for itself, mm -hmm. right? Unless you're a sponsor who wants to sponsor this particular podcast. I mean, it's, 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 this doesn't have to be pro bono forever. I mean, we are in the top 100 at the moment. Yeah, at the moment. 66, baby. I know. If we were to release, and for the people that are going on there and checking and we're, not no, we're no longer there. We don't release at a fast enough frequency. Yeah, exactly. If we did, we would be. Stop getting me off topic. All right. I don't have the need to go on social media and to sell something. Mm. That's why we do all this for free. Most syndicators who are in this space are not going to be offering a course yes. or teaching a mastermind for $35,000 a year where you buy in. Yeah. That right there is a huge red flag. Huge red flag. And for the huge. record, for the record, people should know this. We've been approached. People have asked us, 
how can I pay you so you could teach me to do the things that you guys yes, know how to do? Yeah, we're times. like, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just continue listening, continue listening to the show, and hopefully over time you will learn or something will spark an interest and you'll con- you'll go on and do your research. And ask questions. Ping us. I mean, I'm not as, as responsive as I'd like to be on, all the time on social media, but right. ask us questions. We will see it. We will answer it if we can. I mean, some things we're not, I mean, I don't know everything about every topic, and neither do you. We have to spend no, some no. time researching from time yeah, to time. Absolutely. But that's the idea is, mm-hmm. is that we're not trying to sell you anything. We're trying to give you a non-biased opinion. So the best way I can tell you to, to, to work with a syndicator is work with somebody who's got a longer than a 20-year track record. Yes. Okay. 23 years. Great. I talked to a guy a week ago. He syndicates mm-hmm. commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Been in the business for 23 years. That's my approach to if I If I go out and I'm looking for a contractor for my house, mm-hmm. you got to be around 20 years, dude. I'm not against some guy that just started his business two, three years ago. Yeah, and it's not a knock. There there are talents for sure. No, for sure. But for me, for, for my own, you know, for me to feel safe about it, like I'm willing to pay us, you know, a little bit of a premium to have somebody that knows what they're doing or has been around. And that's the irony of these syndicators that you see on social media. That, that's the part that just trips me out, dude. Like I, it shakes my head is the experienced syndicators mm-hmm. charge as much as the non-experienced syndicators do because they're all copying their structure. Yeah. Grant Cardone is no different than this Gadgevelli guy who took a mastermind class. He learned the business from somebody else. He saw somebody else doing it and he's replicating it and he's weaponizing it with social media. And honestly, if you made some money with him, here's the thing. I'll be the first person to admit mm-hmm. the first person. I have never met anybody who invested in Grant Cardone who has reached out to me and said, hey, Chris, I'm making good money. I like what I've done. I'm very happy. Mm-hmm. Not a single person ever. And if somebody does, you know what? Maybe I'll reconsider my, my stance on him in particular. But what I will say is there's a lot of syndicators out there who don't have the financial net worth. I would say if I was getting a syndicator, mm-hmm. I would want to know how many properties they own. Right. I would want to know what their income in their balance sheet is. I want to know how strong you are. You want to know why? If this deal goes south, are you going to be able to prop it up? Right. Are you going to be able to stand behind this deal? Do you need somebody else to guarantee this for the bank because you're too weak and too inexperienced? But like having a, a capital call is not something that's rare or something that I mean that that is that is an avenue that they do have to take, right? If if something is unforeseen that does happen. Okay, but let me give you a different take. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're out there and you want to invest twenty or thirty thousand dollars into a syndicator. Oof. And let's say you get eight percent cash on cash return. Right. Because that's what they're offering you. Mm-hmm. Every single one of my properties in the Midwest, when I bought them and granted interest rates are different now, mm-hmm. paid me between ten and twelve percent cash on cash return. I would put thirty and forty thousand dollars of my own money into it. Right. I am the only one that owns that property, think, and I'm making more money. I think the draw, though, part of the draw is that somebody else is managing it. I have a property manager who manages it for me. Yeah. And I pay her ten percent, and I still make more than you would make with Grant Cardone investing into one of his larger multifamily projects. Right. And I have complete autonomy. I can sell it when I want. I my capital calls, and when the the, the repairs are needed, I, you know, I make them. Right. I mean that I have complete autonomy. Right. I believe in taking the small steps to leverage over time and to continue to grow and scale are much more valuable to anybody listening yeah. than going into something like that. And if you really want to go into something like that, yeah. go into a real estate investment trust. Once you get enough money and you've been around the business long enough and you find there's a seasoned syndicator you want to work with, go into that business. But honestly, you would learn so much more buying and owning a piece of real estate yourself. I know that seems hard, hard to do and far away. Yeah. At least you can control your outcome with the syndication you're locked in. Yeah, that's, that's always the best case scenario if you can control your own outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Good episode, Chief. Good episode. And there is a new review I thought was fucking spectacular. It was spectacular. I say we save it for the next one. The review? Yeah. You want to go right now? Yeah, let's, let's, let's end this one on the review. Oh, let's do it. All right. It was great. You got to pull it up on the phone. On my phone, yeah, yeah. And I'm blind as hell, so. Yeah, blame Apple for this. Blame Apple for it? Yeah, it's not that it yeah, isn't They popular. never let you bring the whole thing up on the... It's so weird, yeah. right? Well, let's see here. Where is my man? There he is. Super America Eagle Squadron. Mm. I feel like saying thank you for your service right out the gate. Yeah. A heartfelt thank you. Wow. 
There are a lot of people out there, the majority of people out there in America, that need to find their way to this podcast. Game recognizes game. Man, pimp, pimp, hooray. Mm-hmm. I'm a 27-year-old man that has found himself in a salaried management position. Congratulations, sir. That's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I grew up fairly poor, and my parents didn't know anything about money management, investment, or financial literacy. Uh, one of my parents didn't. The other one thought he did, and certainly I can relate. That being said, they didn't have the tools to teach me about any of those things. I'm sure many of you reading can relate to not having been taught this in school growing up either. Yeah, 100%, brother. Yeah, it's some, I can't, still can't believe that this is not in the curriculum. I know. Thankfully, the higher standard has changed my perspective and approach to my own personal finances. God damn, that, that's amazing. That honestly, when, when I read this first time, it made my day. Yeah. I just reached out to Chris on IG to thank him for teaching myself and a couple of my best friends. The most about financial literacy, economics, and real estate loans, real estate loans, banking, finance, and the most I've learned about these topics by those topics by far compared to school or childhood. Mm. And I'll say it again. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you, Saeed. Mm. These guys are. Did you do like the Namaste? Namaste. I thought you were doing like the, <laughs> with the <laughs> Kung Fu hands. Yeah. yeah. Um, these guys are truly talented in communicating this information and taking it from daunting and overwhelming to enjoyable empowering entertainment wow this is man this might be the best review ever i would this whole thing needs to be on a shirt we should probably put (laughs) in the back of a shirt (laughs) listening to the higher standard gives me hope that even someone like me that doesn't come from wealth or didn't grow up with parents that held the quote secret end quote to building wealth can accomplish great financial feats and build a more robust legacy for my family down the line you fucking can man you absolutely can absolutely I often find my wheels turning and juices flowing at the end of each episode, seeking more information and trying to formulate my own financial mind. Wow, you're going to just skip right over that. Just juices? Juices flowing. Yeah. Simply put, you will not be better off for listening to the show. Give it a listen, and I promise you'll be hooked. It's honest, funny, and offers a unique perspective into the minds of two highly intelligent and experienced men. And that was a great review. That was honestly a great review. It ends right there. Phenomenal. Just the, the best review. So I think everyone was talking about you and me. And then at the end here, he says, just watch out for Saeed. That guy's a villain. God damn it. I was actually pretty sad. He didn't say anything about me. No, he did. He said, two highly intelligent, experienced men, you and me. Oh. And then just watch out for Saeed. That guy's a villain. I'm just doing That's math. That's, two, that's, three, minus two. That's, that's I like it. I know. Yeah. Odin doesn't get enough credit, guys. He, he does a, a lot for the show. Yeah, that, that that's true. Well, wow wow non-villain villain dude no 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 i just i just paused because i thought to myself he was at my house working on the show earlier today and you were out doing uh gardening mm. yeah, for everyone that is listening oh, okay. um, don't go do to it. youtube and watch the end of this episode take a look at chris's face <laughs> what's, what's wrong with my face he's, he's gonna edit it that's what he's gonna do <laughs> We appreciate everybody. Thank you guys for those reviews. Honestly, we share them the second they come in to one another, and it it makes our day. Yeah. And for all you new listeners, leave a review, and thanks for tuning in. Good night, everybody. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.